Welcome to Livelihood, providing tactical and practical tips for women who work. I'm Britt Larson, your host. I'm thrilled to be joined with Tanya Dalton, the founder and CEO of Inkwell Press Productivity Co., and also the recent author of a new book that I'm obsessed with. Thank you so much for being here, Tanya. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us about your book and your career journey so far. It's The Joy of Missing Out. We're going to talk about it a lot because, like I told you before we started recording, I took notes and dog-eared every page. It's that good. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, I feel like it's the message that we need to be hearing as women. I truly believe that we have this idea, and I think really society kind of pushes us to this idea that we are supposed to be busy, that if we're not busy, we're somehow failing, right? And so I really wanted to put something out there that was really this idea of, listen, you don't have to be busy. We don't want to be busy. Let's Let's really create a life for ourselves that feels meaningful. You know, really, you know, I tell people that I talk about productivity, but I feel like they come in the door and I'm like, listen, it's all about intentional living. It's really about creating a priority-centered life where you and your priorities are front and center every single day. That's true at work. It's true at home. It's true of you as a whole person. You know, you and I were chatting about this before we went live on on the recording, but, you know, this is the thing with so often with productivity, we focus solely on who we are at work. And we're so much more than a worker bee. We have so many different roles that we play. And really some of the most important roles we play are really who we are in our personal life, you know, as wives, as friends, as mothers, as neighbors, and, you know, aunts and all those things that we're doing. And so let's really figure out how to create a life for ourselves where those things can also sit front and center. I think that's really, really important. I love this message because I do feel like it's unique. It's one of the reasons why I started Livelihood in the first place. And I call it building a dream life. You call it intentional living. I like mm-hmm. your version maybe better than mine. My thought is that there's no such thing as a dream job. Oh, and yeah. you talk a lot about in the joy of missing out these ideas that maybe confine us, these you know, expectations that we have for ourselves. Like you said, society tells us we have to be busy, but I love the story at the very beginning of the book where you talk about basically, these are my words, having a breakdown in your kitchen. Yes. How you got to this point and why you were able to write the book in the first place. Yeah. So this is the thing at the beginning of the book, we, I share this story about, you know, dropping off, you know, doing carpool drop off and then preschool drop off and then running home because I had so much to do, right? Every, oh, I have all these things that are so important. Although if you'd asked me a week later what those things were, I probably couldn't have named them, but I felt like, oh gosh, I have to hurry. I have to run. I have to get home. And then I go home and I'm like, okay, do I start with this? Okay, no. Uh, Should I do laundry? No. Should I work on my website? No. Should I work on, and I'm turning in circles until I finally just, you know, fall into a heap and start crying because truly I was feeling so overwhelmed. And I like to tell people that overwhelm isn't having too much to do. It's not knowing where to start. And I think this is why Mm -hmm. so often we run through our days. We're chasing busy. We're checking a thousand things off our to-do list. And then we go to bed at night and we slip under the covers and our head hits the pillow and we think to ourselves, oh, why didn't I get more done? You know what? Why didn't you work harder? Why didn't you work smarter? And we start beating ourselves up. We end our days feeling so unsatisfied and unsuccessful. 
even though we were busy all day long. But here's the truth is we are so busy, you know, chasing down that to-do list, trying to check off as many things as we can. We're not stopping and asking ourselves, are these things truly important? Because if instead of checking 50 things off of our list, if instead we chose to check, let's say, five things that really were important, we would end our days feeling successful. We would end our days going, you know what? Today felt good. And I don't think we end nearly enough days saying, nice work today. You did solid work. Do we? Right? We go to bed and no. we feel bad about our day. I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel like a lot of women in your position who've written books, who have a big following, they focus on the hustle and working harder and giving women confidence. And what was Mm -hmm. so refreshing about the tone of your book is that I'm just going to be honest. I have good ideas. I don't need to read a book to tell me that I have good ideas and you go girl. I I just don't message. And most women that I work with, who are trying to figure out the next step in their career, they already know what they're good at. They're Uh self-aware. What they need is permission to rest and slow down. And that's exactly what your message was. And I think that's why it was so refreshing because I need it too. I need that message constantly. I think we all need it to be honest with you because there is so much pressure. I feel like I see that word hustle on like every three posts on Instagram, right? Or the word grind, or, right? And it's like hustle, hustle, hustle. And quite frankly, if you're hustling, you're just chasing your tail. You're wearing yourself out. You're not really doing things that are truly intentional, things that are really going to help you end your day feeling satisfied. And so we do need that permission to rest. There's a quote in the book where I talk about, you know, we have to change the way that we feel about rest, that rest is not a reward for great work. It's a requirement for great work to happen. In order to truly exhale, to put forth a lot of effort and work, we need to take time to inhale. We need the inhale so that we can exhale. And I think we think that if we have 10 minutes to ourselves, we're not, you know, overscheduled or over busy. If we have 10 minutes to ourselves, we look around and we go, okay, what did I do wrong? (laughs) Like, there's no way I have 10 (laughs) minutes to myself, right? Like, you you feel unsettled. (laughs) It's the worst feeling when really... You know, that 10 minutes is a good chance for you to just ah, breathe, you know, paint your nails, read a book, you know, just sit and sip a cup of coffee or do something that re-energizes you and makes you feel good. Because then when you pick your work back up after that 10 minutes, it's going to be twice as good because you've recharged your batteries, right? Because you've given yourself that ability to rest. You know, we don't think twice about resting in between reps at the gym, We work out, we take a rest, we work out again, we rest, we work out another area of our body, we rest. We think our brain can just go full power all day long. Our brain is no different than the rest of our body. It needs time to recharge. It needs time to rest and heal. And I feel like people don't realize that. We think we should be hustling. We think we should be grinding. We think we should be running after every opportunity that comes up and that we don't need that rest. But that's really what I wanted women to come away with the book, feeling like, okay, I do need rest. I have permission to have rest. And now I know how to get it because I think that's the other part. Like, you know, there are books out there that are like, you know, you can do this, you can do that. And it's like, how? Tell me how. (laughs) I need to know how to do it. And that's what I wanted. I wanted people to walk away feeling like, okay, now I know what I needed to do next, you know? Well, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up that quote because I literally have the book sitting in my lap open to that because it was (laughs) the most... Kind of, I felt like an anvil, you know, dropped on me like a cartoon character. Like, hello, yes. this is the message I need. I'm going to read it again. Periods of rest 
are not a reward for great work, but are a requirement for great work to happen. And the thing that I felt like was frankly revolutionary about your book is that you teach us that it's actually the way you're going to make money. It's the way you're going to promoted. It's the way that you're going to succeed. It's not just to avoid burnout and to, you know, make sure you don't kill yourself in the process of building whatever your dream life is or having, having intentional living. Uh, it's going to make you successful. And I have felt that this last year in particular, and now implementing a lot of your processes and the things that you talk about, um, I, I mentioned this to you too. I feel like after reading this book, I have a PhD in productivity. You have <laughs> such good tactical advice. I mean, obviously I'm just going to tell everyone who's listening that they need to make time to listen. But if you had kind of, what's your go-to tip, your kind of best idea that mm-hmm. you love to give women, especially those who are feeling really overwhelmed? Yeah, I love to tell them to throw out their to-do list because I feel like there's like an audible gasp when I say it, like, oh, what? Like, because we think that's like the tool that's making us, you know, quote unquote, more productive. But our to-do list is doing nothing more than confusing us because it's too long. It's unorganized. doesn't tell us where to start, which is what we talked about earlier. Overwhelm isn't having too much to do. It's not knowing where to start. And I think if instead of writing a to-do list each day, sitting down to create the priority list, which we go through in chapter six of the book, it takes no more time than a to-do list, but it is so organized and it's so intentional that you start at the top, you know, with your most important tasks that are also urgent in the escalate category, and you work your way down through the categories that we go through in the book. And I think that when people really start using that priority list system, they're like, it's a to-do list with intention right? It's, it's taking your to-do list and turning it on its head and making it really work for you instead of working against you. Because, you know, 89% of professionals do not complete their to-do list each day. 89%. Which means we go to bed and we go, oh my gosh, I didn't get enough done. I never got through my to-do list. Because your to-do list is three miles long, right? <laughs> And things are in there between dry cleaning and the presentation you need to give to the CEO of the company. And things are in there like going for ballet shoes. And it's all cluttered and jumbled. And when you just make these, and this is the thing, it's, I say in the book, it's these small, huge movements. They're simple to do. They're easy to implement, yet monumental in the impact they can make in your day. Small changes for big impact. That's really the key here. We don't want to add more to your plate. We don't want to make it more difficult. We want to make it easier. We want to make it simpler. And I think you do that. I mean, that's what I thought was really remarkable is that there are a lot of really new concepts and ideas in here, even for someone who, like me, is obsessed with productivity and reads a lot about this topic. But I didn't end the book, or even as I was reading it, feel overwhelmed, because that's the point, right? I felt like I could do this. And (laughs) one of the, the best concepts that you share um, it's a Venn diagram um, in the Harmonized Life chapter that has what we can control mm-hmm. in one circle, our priorities in the other, and then the overlap shows where we should focus. And that was another aha moment for me because 
I think for a long time in my professional career, especially in the beginning, I spent so much time in that left circle, just so much time trying to figure out how to change things I couldn't control. And I do think that's a learning process Mm -hmm. you have to go through, especially in your early twenties, figuring out, okay, I'm not going to change the entire culture of this company. So I got to figure out what I can change, but I love that concept. Well, I think it's so eye-opening when you realize, first of all, that there are things you can't control. And second of all, it's okay. You're not going to be able to control everything. In fact, we don't want to control everything. We want to leave room in our life for some surprise and delight, don't we? You know, I think that the thing is, is we're so busy worrying about what everybody else thinks and worrying about everyone else's opinions, which are things we cannot control. All we can control is our own emotions, our own reactions, the things in our sphere that are within our domain. And I think that, you know, we're so busy worrying about, well, what are they going to say if I say no? Or what are they going to think if I don't take this project on? Or what are they going to, oh my gosh, let that go. We cannot spend our time focusing on those things because you're spinning your wheels, wearing yourself out. Absolutely. And that perfectly segues into one of my favorite themes of the book. You, you talk about this, I feel like almost in every chapter, but the stories that we tell ourselves and you talk about, you know, we tell ourselves we won't get promoted unless we work, you know, longer and harder than everyone around us. I don't have the luxury of going out with my girlfriends. I just don't have time for that. And these are all stories mm-hmm. I've, I've told myself. And I thought maybe oh, yeah. of our listeners because this totally fits in with livelihood. How do you get out of that mindset of these, these basically these lies that we've either told ourselves or have been told? Yeah. And I think this is a thing is, is these stories that we tell ourselves, they're, they're steeped in these absolutes. Like it's a very black or white. You're bad or you're good. You're a good mom. If you do this, you're a bad mom. If you do that, you're a good boss. If you do this, you're a bad boss. If you do that. Right. So it's very black or white. And the problem is, is most of these things that we set up for ourselves are so unachievable and we would never hold anyone else up to these expectations. But we think, you know, that we can do these things even though it doesn't even necessarily fit the life we want. You know, a good boss never leaves work before their team. Gosh, I don't want to, I want to feel okay going home at three o'clock in the afternoon to be with my kids. I want to feel okay about those things. So I think what we have to do is we need to recognize, first of all, that these are stories that we're telling ourselves. So when you begin to notice yourself and you'll hear that internal monologue, right? We know that voice inside our head because it's really, really ugly. And it will say something to us about, oh, you didn't do this. You're a bad mom. You're a bad boss. You're a bad whatever, right? When, I want you to stop when you recognize that, that conversation going on inside your head and say, why do I feel this way? What, what is it that, that makes me feel this way? And don't stop with that first why. Ask why again. Ask why two or three times. Well, why is it that I feel that way? Well, what, why, did, why is that story here? Well, why, why did that person say this to me? Because a lot of times these stories are other people's opinions, other people's beliefs that have been kind of pushed upon us, society and everyone else. And so I think when you start digging into why is it I feel this way, you'll start to notice like, oh, this comes from something in my childhood. Or this comes from something that my very first boss told me, who was a terrible boss, right? <laughs> or this comes from that girl who I thought was my friend, but really wasn't my friend. Those, And you'll start to really realize. And the good thing about stories is this. You are the author of your own life. So yes, these are your stories, but you write the ending. You can change those stories. You can change how you feel about these things. Instead of saying, you know, a good mom is always there when our kids get off the bus, which isn't feasible when you're working nine to five. 
you can say to yourself, a good mom does her best to be home, you know, several nights a week to tuck her kids into bed. Or, you know, a good mom gives her kids their, you know, her attention, you know, when she gets home from work or rewrite those stories so they truly work for you. Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Let go of that baggage because it's so heavy and all it's doing is slowing you down, keeping you from going to where you truly want to go, right? That ideal life that you're looking for. And if you're taking on everybody else's opinions and everyone else's stories, it's weighing your pack down. Let's rewrite those and let's really make them work for you. What's truly feasible in your life? Like if you're telling yourself a story that a good mom tucks her kids into bed at night, every night, but you travel, that's impossible. How are you ever going to live up to that story? right? So a good mom spends time with her kids. A good mom puts her phone in the other room for 15 minutes and gives her kids a full attention. 15 minutes. Because here's the thing, we get so caught up in the quantity. How many nights I tuck them into bed? How much time I spend? It's never about quantity. It's always the quality. 15 minutes with your phone in the other room focusing on your kids is so much more valuable than two hours after they get off the bus and you're working And, you know, trying to focus on work while they're doing their thing and everything else. 15 minutes is better if it's truly high quality, right? So stop worrying about the numbers. Stop getting caught up in how much and start getting caught up in how good. I love that. And like you said, it's specific to every woman and everyone's priorities are different. And I think, you know, I'm a huge fan of social media. I definitely see it as a net positive. I love the communities that I'm a part of. I find resources that I wouldn't otherwise. I wouldn't know you, Tanya. I love it. But in a lot of ways, it has made us feel like we have to be like everyone else. That Someone else's version Mm -hmm. of a corporate woman has to be ours or a mother or a wife or a single woman or whatever that looks like. And I I love the permission that you give uh, throughout your messages, both in your book and in the communities that you've built. So thank you for touching on that and, and allowing us to rewrite our stories. Because one thing I thought about a lot as I was reading this is that it's also going to constantly change. You know, I'm not a mom yet, but that's something that I want. And my life is going to look really different when I have a kid and I have to, I have to be prepared to, to evolve, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's so true. And we, we talk about this in the first section of the book where we talk about discovery when we're talking about What is your North Star, your mission, your vision, your core values? Walk away from the idea that this is you for the rest of your life. That's so heavy, right? It's so much. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, no wonder it's so daunting. Because truly, if you think about it, who you are today is very different than who you were 10 years ago. It's very different probably than who you were five years ago. It might even be different than who you were six months ago because our lives change and evolve. We are growing. We're constantly learning. We're succeeding. We're failing. We're doing all the things that make us us, right? And all of that learning goes into who we are. So to imagine that we are going to set this, you know, idea of who we are and it's going to be the same when we're 80 years old is, is a little bit crazy, We have to feel okay with the fact that our priorities are going to change. This is why it's important to kind of stop and assess from time to time. How do I feel like I'm doing? How do I, do I feel like this still really fits me and what is important to me? Because those priorities will change. Like, you know, when you do become a mom, those things shift, right? The way you feel about, you know, your priorities, other things will, will, will lift up and some things will be demoted. And so it's really important that we're always 
you know, evolving and growing and giving ourselves the grace to actually do that. Stop holding on to the things that you thought, you know, 10 years ago, let go of those, figure out whether that's really, truly what you want today. Absolutely. And I love that you, you know, you've given us the tools to do that because I, I think conceptually I I've known that all my life, but I talk to corporate women and women with, um, this idea of, you know, I need to be promoted by a certain time or married by a certain time or Mm -hmm. by a certain time. And we just, like you said, we have these stories that we've told ourselves. And I think it's really freeing to recognize that you could be the author of your, your story and build your dream life. Because at the end of the day, that's the stuff that really matters. And like you talked about at the very beginning, we're holistic selves. We can't just look at our career in a vacuum anymore. And there's no such thing as someone who has the same job for, for 30 years anymore. <laughs> you know, that's just, yeah, it's very, that's not- very, very rare. Right. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I think, I think that's so important. And I love what you said there about, you know, we get on social media and then we're looking at what everybody else is doing in these little tiny squares. And we lose sight of the fact that there's a life outside of that square that we don't see. We don't see that maybe she had a fight with her husband that morning because he didn't take out the trash for the two second week in a row. We don't see that there's, you know, a whole stash of stuff that's just out of the scene that's, you know, just clutter and trash that, oh gosh, I got to get this out of the picture so the picture looks right. We, we don't see that maybe she yelled at her kids in the morning just like we did, you know? So this is a thing is we are curating these feeds to show our best selves because no one wants to post a picture of them in the middle of a fight with their husband or no one wants to post a picture of themselves when they they failed necessarily. And so it's we're setting ourselves up to look at this highlight reel when really a lot of things built into that highlight reel. You know, we have we we feed into this whole idea of the overnight success. There are no overnight successes. You know, anyone who's an overnight success stayed up all night working. And by all night, I mean years, right? We just didn't see it leading up to it. And so, you know, we look at these other people who've gotten promotions or we look at people who've, you know, achieved certain accolades in their careers. And we think, well, I should have that at this age. Your journey is unique to you and their journey is unique to them. And we need to let go of that whole comparisonism and really feeling like there is a right way to do things and there's a wrong way because there is no right or wrong. There's just your journey. Absolutely. I'm so glad you shared that. So one of my favorite stories that you talk about, because putting my phone down or actually having any kind of out of office is one of the things I struggle with most. And a lot of our listeners do too. They don't. You're not alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the Shonda Rhimes example that you gave. Um, mm-hmm. she, she talked about um, how she can't be involved in every little decision and mm-hmm. she doesn't read uh, emails after seven or on weekends. And I love, these are your words. You say, we have to keep in mind that CEO doesn't stand for chief everything officer, <laughs> whether that's in the home or the office. And mm-hmm. I love this concept because I think the overconnected life that we all live, like we've talked about, it has a lot of great positive things that come from it. But oh, I yeah. personally have felt, especially in the last few years, exceptionally burnt out by it and the expectations of the companies that I've worked for have just been kind of insane in this department. But a lot of it was me. A lot of it was my own thinking that if I answered emails quickly, then I would get promoted and make more money. Also, we tend to project uh, other people's expectations. Well, this is what my boss expects. 
And what I find interesting, because I speak at different companies a lot, and we'll have these conversations where they're like, well, you know, they'll kind of come up to me, you know, in, in a break or something, and they'll be like, well, this is the expectation my boss has. So then I'll say, okay, well, this is what's going on, you know, while keeping that person anonymous. And literally the boss who that person was talking about is like, yeah. that's not my expectation, you know? And so it's like, oh, okay. So you, this is what you think your boss is expecting of you. But have you had a conversation to ask them if they expect you to return emails on the weekend? Just because they're writing them on the weekend doesn't mean that they expect you to return them. And I think this is a thing too that, you know, we talk about in the book. And I say this because I'm a boss, I'm a manager, I manage a team. And, you know, sometimes we're piling things on our team's plate and we don't even realize how much we put on there. We're so busy looking at our own plate, we don't realize we've overfilled yours. So when your boss is overfilling your plate or your boss is having these unrealistic expectations, having a conversation is a really good place to start. You know, I, I want to prioritize this. I love this project you've given me. What do I need to deprioritize? What should I put lower on my list so I'm really giving this my best self? What do, I, what do you want me to do to give you the best version of me at the office? And opening up those doors of communication, whether it's you, know, you to your manager or you as a manager to your team, is invaluable. Because I think that's the, one of the things that's truly missing when we have these um, these inferences or these instances when there's this, you know, like this is what needs to happen at the office. A lot of times it's not really aligned to people's expectations of what the, you know, the boss thinks and what the, what the employee thinks. Let's get those aligned by having conversations and open up that channel to really understand what do they want you to prioritize. I love that. And I think like you mentioned, it has to be both sides. They both have to be willing Uh, frankly, I don't want to work anywhere where they're not willing to have those conversations. And I have worked like that. I've left places like that because if someone's going to say to me that you're required to be on all the time, it's not going to work. And I have high expectations as a manager. That's why I like being a manager. I like to see people grow. I like to hire people smarter than me so they can teach me. Yeah. But I love being asked those questions. They, they always kind of catch me off guard. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I don't even realize that I overwhelm someone and then they say, wait, 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 I've got these three other projects you have me working on. I can't get this done tomorrow. And I go, Whoa, Oh, oh my gosh. Totally I'm so sorry. Oh yeah. Yes, exactly. I totally forgot. One of the- yeah, I was, was going to say, one of the things that I do with my team to really make sure that I'm paying attention to what, what I've put on their plates, because it is a lot of times us as the manager putting things on their plates, is I have Monday momentum meetings, which take place on Monday mornings around 945, where we huddle together as a team and we talk about, I'll give them my list of what the priorities are for the week. So then they understand, like, this is where we need to go as a company this week. So it's helping them to prioritize, but then each one of them goes around and talks about what their priority items are for the week. And I can, as their manager, right then on the fly say, you know what, spend most of your time on this project, not that one. Or, yep, that sounds good. You're on the right track. That's the priority items. And having that communication and that conversation just as a regular meeting, and it takes maybe 15 minutes because we go through it pretty quickly. But it's also a great touch point to start our week. Um, I feel like we laugh a lot. We laugh a lot at my office. But we laugh a lot during those meetings. And it really is a good chance for me to be like, oh, okay, I've already given, you know, this person three projects. So I need to make sure that I'm not giving anything else to her unless I take something away. You know, and it helps me just have like a quick touch point with each person. That's really smart. And I love that you keep it quick and focused because I think one issue, and maybe I'm projecting on all women here, but I do think women try to be everything to everyone. And a lot of the 
female managers that I've had suffered from that, that they, I mean, this is why I love the Shonda Rhimes example, one of the most successful women in the world. And she said, um, Mm -hmm. if the thing that ABC is paying me for is storytelling, not to make sure that a costume is exactly right or all those other things, then it is up to me so that that function of my job can happen. And I love that you included this story because she's saying, I'm a storyteller and that's what I do well. And that's what I'm hired to do. Well, I don't need to nitpick and micromanage the costumes on my shows. And like I said, a lot of the females that I've worked with are known for micromanaging. They have to have their hands in everything. And I love that you Mm -hmm. said that is not success. That is not going to help you. No, it really isn't. But we think that nobody else can do it as well, right? Or we feel guilty giving somebody else something to do. But if we start looking at as delegation, as development, it's an opportunity to provide growth for somebody else where they can start stepping into bigger roles, which helps you and helps them both. I think when we start shifting our mindset on how we feel about those things, that's when we begin to feel like, oh, okay, this is a good thing. Delegating is a good thing, not just for me, but also for Absolutely. I mean, honestly, one of my biggest things as a manager is giving people projects that I'm scared to because they always surprise me. Either they learn a ton and make mistakes and we learn together or what usually happens, they do it better than I would and think of things that I wouldn't. And I, I wish more women felt that freedom. I think that because for a long time, especially in a corporate setting, there's only been one woman at the table or fighting over seats. We have felt like that means we have to do it all. So I love this example from such a powerful woman. And you are obviously an example in your own company of someone who said, no, I can't do it all. That's why I've hired you and I need your help. And this is how we make it happen. Yeah. This is why I hire smart people. <laughs> So they can do these things. Right. right. And I love to hire smart women because they do. They bring new things to the table. They bring ideas. I tell my team, listen, if you're not pushing back on me from time to time, we're not growing. I'm not growing if you're not if you're not pushing back on me. I'm not the only person with good ideas here. Right. And even if I bring an idea to the table, let's see if you can help me make it better. Let's Absolutely. And honestly, that's why we need women in all workplaces, because we may, you know veer too far one direction of trying to do it all. But I also think we're the best collaborators. We are really good at saying, okay, there's seven ideas in this room. How do we make it one idea that we all can live with and be happy about? And I think the only way we can do that is if we let go a little bit. I mean, honestly, that was to me, one of the main underlying themes of your book is that I need to let go. Um, I love the story that you share about, Mm -hmm yourself with traditions and Christmas, which feels relevant right now that you always made this certain dinner and then you felt like you should do something different and it just stressed you out and you've gotten into a a good groove with the tradition there. Will you share about that a little bit? Yes. Well, I feel like traditions are really one of the best productivity tools we have, you know, because truly traditions are what creates these memories, I think, for our families and creates these tight knit family units because it's the anticipation, not just the activity, but it's looking forward to it. There is a lot more happiness, truly, that science has found that's tied into the anticipation of an event happening than just the event itself. So traditions do that. 
but they also make life easier because they take the thinking out of it. We tend to overthink, we tend to overanalyze, and we think, oh, I need to do this, or I have to do this, or what if I do this? And we've got 75 different options, right? Well, a tradition takes a lot of that stress and a lot of that thinking out of it because it's things you've already done. It's things that run on autopilot. So for example, for me, our Christmas Eve tradition is we do roasted crab and we have this Caesar salad that I make that's all eaten with your hands and homemade bread. And it sounds like a lot, but it's not because I have all the recipes pulled together in a binder. I have a whole like oven chart because I've done it for so many years. Like this is when this goes in the oven. This is when I make this. So a lot of that stress is gone. I know that after dinner, we're going to each open up a pair of pajamas that I have wrapped under the tree and a new game. And we're going to play games in our new pajamas. And that's what we do on Christmas Eve. And we eat peppermint ice cream. So you can see right now, like my Christmas Eve sounds like there's a lot going on. My kids look forward to it. And I don't stress about it because I already know it's going to happen. I already know what I'm going to do for it. I already know how it's going to work because I've done it before. And I think if we lean into that, we add magic and wonder to the holidays without adding the stress. I think we get caught up in this idea that ma- you know making magic in the holidays or for traditions, whether it's birthday or even Sunday morning pancakes, has to be this giant gesture when really all we're looking for is deepening those relationships, creating those connections with those people we love. And that's what tradition. I love that us. concept. This was one of the things that I had never, ever thought about myself. And I'm still somewhat of a newlywed. We've been married three years. And so we're figuring out our own traditions. And I love the idea that they take the thinking out of things. And this is honestly the pitch I give people who don't love talking about productivity, who aren't super organized. This is my thing that I tell them it creates more space for creativity, for fun. You can be spontaneous. You don't just feel like you're running around with your head cut off all the time when you have a plan. And I, I love that idea of traditions being that plan. Yeah, it really is. It's not about, you know, creating a, a schedule that's so like tight and, and rigid. It really is about allowing that flexibility and that grace. That's what true productivity does for you. It gives you that structure, a little bit of that skeleton, right, for your body. Just the same thing, like yeah. where it holds you upright and it holds things together, but you still have the ability to choose where it's going to take you. And we need that flexibility. We need that grace because, you know, life, <laughs> life happens and we need that flexibility. So that things can feel okay, so that things can feel good, so we don't beat ourselves up. Let's give ourselves that grace that we need. Absolutely. Well, honestly, I'm just fangirling this whole conversation because I've loved getting to know you through your book. I am so excited to share you with the Livelihood audience. If you aren't convinced yet, you need to go get a copy of The Joy of Missing Out. And I can't tell you, Tanya, when I posted just in my Instagram stories when I first got the advanced reader copy, I had so many women say, I need to read this just by looking at the cover. Live more by doing less. I mean, isn't that the dream? That's what yes. we're all trying to <laughs> <what> we want. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have any last thoughts, parting words for our audience? I think really the thing is, and we've kind of touched on this, you know, throughout, you know, our conversation, but don't overwhelm yourself. Don't feel like you have to change everything all at once to be, you know, hyperproductive or anything like that. Start small, start with what's achievable, feel good about your days. That's truly what good productivity does for you. It doesn't stress you out. It's not about creating a rigid system that you have to change yourself for. It's really about creating a system that molds and fits to you and your life that feels easy, that feels 
It feels fun. And that's really what we want. We want to find the joy in our everyday lives. Let's miss out on the clutter and the noise and that busyness. And let's choose to find the joy that's already there in our everyday lives. I love that. And honestly, I do think that this is becoming a very poignant conversation. I'm seeing more and more books and people like you saying, hold up, you don't need to say yes to everything. And what I love about your book is that you truly teach us how to say no. I do think that is starting to become a thing is yes, you can say no, but that's what I love about your, your approach is that, like you said, I I don't have time to just read a book that tells me to say, no, I need to know how. So (laughs) give me the tools. I, yeah, Yeah. I don't want want you to feel like rah, rah, this is good. And then now what I want you to walk away feeling really excited about implementing some of those strategies into your own life. Absolutely. So tell livelihood listeners how they can follow you, how they can get your book. Yes. So pictures. So you can find just about anything about me at tanyadalton.com, which is Tanya with an O and a Y. And you can find links to my podcast, Productivity Paradox, there. And you can find links even to my products, which uh, are Inkwell Press is my brand that I um, I run, um, which are productivity tools. And I also have trainings. And then you can also find links to my book. Or you could go to joyofmissingout.com. And there's links there to buy the book. Really, it's available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target. Um, but that's a great place to find everything and anything about me, tanyadalton.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been enlightening. It's been awesome to to get to know you a little better after reading a book that honestly changed my life. This came at the exact right time. And I think the message so many women need. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate that the book meant so much to you. That that means a lot to me. I think as an author, sometimes you put these things out into the world. <laughs> you really do. And you're like, I hope, I hope people really, really resonate with it. And um, so hearing what you have to say about the book really has, um, has made my day. So thank you. Oh, good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for listening to Livelihood. Please share this episode with your friends and be sure to follow Livelihood on Instagram and join the Livelihood community group on Facebook. You can always find more info and episodes on livelihoodwithaway.com.